0: A few weeks ago we were working through the book of Mark or working through this passage of Mark uh, talking about the disciples and, and I imagine you can remember Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you can almost hear the water coming up onto the shore. And as you look out over the water you see guys throwing out their nets to catch fish. And I was thinking about Jesus when He saw these guys and He started calling them. He called them to follow Him and they dropped everything they were doing. Peter and Andrew dropped their nets. James and John left their father in the boats and all the servants they had working with them or the hired help, and they followed him. These were the first four. And since then, for centuries now, generation after generation, people have been responding to this call from Jesus to follow. Today he's calling us again. Constantly, Christ is calling us, and today he calls us again to follow him. To follow him. So that's the thing that Jesus, as I was looking at this passage, this is from Mark chapter 3, verse 13. As I was looking at this, the first thing I noticed is that Jesus is calling us to follow him, calling us to follow him into a relationship, calling us to follow after him in the the work that he has. God is going throughout the world, calling people to new life. As I look at this, I mean, the, the thing that I realize is that Jesus is up on a mountain here and he's calling people to follow him. It's interesting, as you read through the book of Mark, you'll see that there are places where Jesus goes up onto a mountain, and important things happen there. When Jesus goes up onto the mountain, he prays. When Jesus goes up onto the mountain, he's transfigured. He's changed, and you see, just for a moment, we catch a glimpse of who he really is. His face shines bright like the sun, and we catch for just a moment a glimpse of the Son of God. Up on the mountain, important things happen. And the fact that Mark tells us that he's on a mountain again here, I'm hopeful that it begins to at least make the sense that that something is happening, something important here. But the other thing that struck me too is that when Jesus called people, they came. As I was studying this, I realized that Jesus called those who he willed, and they came. Mark says those sort of things quite a bit in his gospel, that Jesus calls and people come. Jesus says, follow me, and Peter and Andrew and James and John, they drop what they're doing and they follow him. Jesus says, follow me, and Matthew leaves his tax booth and his income and all that, and he comes and he follows Jesus. There's only one person who doesn't respond this way, and that's the rich young ruler. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It was the rich young ruler who Jesus said, follow me, and he didn't. He couldn't leave his stuff. But by and large, as you look through Mark's gospel, you see that there's this call, come follow me, and people follow Jesus. I think that Mark is trying to help us see here, that he's trying to make the point that Jesus, that God chooses us. That we don't necessarily choose God, that God is the one choosing us. It's not that he, we recognize that, that, he's, that we're really great and that, you know, you know Jesus, well, I think what you're saying is pretty sound. I think I'm going to follow you. I mean, maybe we feel that way, but I also believe that God is at work in us long before that. It's interesting, as we've been talking about it these, these last few weeks, that Jesus, when he was going, he was this radical rabbi, or this radical teacher of his day, because in his day, rabbis didn't really call students to follow See, rabbis, they were great teachers, and the students were expected to come to them and ask, may I follow you? But here we have this surprising change. We, we get a hint that Jesus is up to something here, that he's calling people, that he's going out and calling them to follow him. You see, it's not by reason, necessarily, that we follow Christ. It's not just up to us making our minds. You know, I think what Jesus is saying here you know, it just makes sense for me. I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna do God a favor and I'm gonna be one of his disciples. That's not really how it works. Really, I believe that it it's God's Spirit at work in us. That is by his spirit that we follow. I mean, sure, I think there are things, there's a lot of things about faith that make sense. There are a lot of things about it that that seem to to speak to life. But there's a lot of things that if you were to just think about what we're saying, you think, what am I doing? There's a lot of things about Jesus that don't make sense. I mean, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. At a rational level, that doesn't make sense. But when God's Spirit is in us, that begins to change. That begins to make sense. And we begin to see that's it's not just death, that's actually the way to life. See, that's why today we've been focusing on this, this ask prayer uh, thing that you've gotten in your bulletin and we handed it in today. Prayer is so important. It is a vital part of our friends, the people we care about, the people we know, is a vital part of them coming to know Christ. It comes through prayer. You know, it's great for us to have answers, and it's important. Like when people ask us, you know, well, explain this to me. It's good that we have answers for them. And it's really important that we live out our faith, that we live in a way that testifies to the gospel, that doesn't undermine what we say. But more than that, we have to pray for people. Because it's God's Spirit that's at work in them. I mean, how many people have you talked with about faith and you explain to them, and how many of them just say, oh, I never got at that. Okay, thanks, now I'm going to follow Christ. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) Bernie. Rarely does it happen that way. Usually it's by prayer. It's by people saying, you know, I remember what you said a while ago, and then something just happened. I can't explain it, but something happened in me, and now I see it differently. See, I believe that's that's where our prayer comes in. That God's Spirit comes in. And He helps people see. He helps people finally see who Jesus is. He helps people see this, this amazing, this unfathomable love that God has for us. This amazing life that He's calling us to. And then not only do they hear about it, they want to follow Him. They want to respond with their whole life. This morning, as I'm looking at this passage, I'm realizing that Christ is calling us that Jesus is calling each one of us again. He continues to call to us throughout our lives. Not only does Jesus call us, though, he also makes us disciples. And it's not that we do God a favor and become his follower. I mean, I think God loves it when we do this, but that's not quite it despite all of our brokenness, despite the things that we still mess up on a daily basis, God makes us disciples. He fashions us into disciples. It's in Christ that we become his followers. You know, it's interesting to me the way that Mark says this. In the Greek, Mark says that Jesus made the twelve. In the NIV, I don't know if you caught what Megan said, it, it said that Jesus appointed them. And I think there's, that's true. I, th- I think that's right, that He appointed them. But it's interesting to me that in the Greek it says, He literally, He made them. Not that He recognized how, how brilliant they were academically. I mean, He's talking about some pretty rough guys here. Not that He recognized you know, how pious they were. And they thought, you know, these would be great guys to have you know, at work in, in my program here. No, it says that He made them. He made the twelve, and he named them apostles. Despite all their brokenness, despite the fact that Peter would deny him, that Judas would betray him, that James and John would argue over who was the greatest, despite these things, he still made them disciples. He still named them apostles. And to prove this point, think about this group of guys that he's brought together. We know that at least four of them were fishermen. Peter and Andrew, James and John. And I think about fishermen that I know. Some of those guys are pretty rough. You know, it's funny, I think about that show on Discovery Channel, Deadliest Catch, those crab fishermen. You kind of get a sense for what, I mean, this is, this is physical work, and, and it's rough work. You know, and I think Peter and and James and John, these guys fit this bill. I mean, think about Peter. How many times he opened his big mouth and then stuck his foot in it? Think about James and John. I mean, them arguing over who's the greatest sometimes. Sometimes saying, hey, Jesus, why don't you call down fire and destroy these guys? You see, they don't get it. I think that's partly why Jesus named them Sons of Thunder or Bonerges, Because they had, it seems like, a temper. Sometimes they were a little bit zealous to call down sulfur and fire on people. So you have this group of fishermen. And then you have Matthew, this tax collector. And so you think, okay, tax collector, I mean, most of us don't really like to pay taxes, but taxes were different in that day. A tax collector, literally their name was tax farmer. They would cultivate, they would grow their tax base. So people, they would collect taxes for Rome. You see, Rome was there. They were occupying Israel at this time. Israel was under the power of Rome, and they didn't like it. But Rome still wanted taxes, so they would hire Jewish people to be tax collectors. So not only is Matthew collecting taxes, and he would add a little bit on top for himself, sometimes a lot on top for himself. That's how he made his living. Not only would he charge taxes, but then charge extra to make his living, sometimes a really extravagant living, but he also was a traitor to his people. He was working for the very people who had occupied their land. The very people who were oppressing them. So not only do we have fishermen, the guys who work, and the tax collector who takes a lot of their fishing uh, profit in taxes, but we also have Simon the Zealot. Simon, sometimes they called them uh, the dagger men, because they were radical nationalists. These zealots were people who were so passionate about the nation of Israel that they were actually fighting this guerrilla war against the Romans. They would sometimes assassinate people, Roman officials. And so you can imagine this group of guys that he has here. Fishermen, rough guys, who probably don't really like having to pay taxes, especially extra taxes to pay for someone else. They have Matthew, the tax collector, who is doing all this tax collecting, but also who has betrayed his people, and then they have Simon the Zealot, this guy who's, who's so radical about Israel that he's actually in a group now with a traitor. Can you imagine some of the discussions that went around the table as they talked? These are the people that Christ has made into disciples. People who in no other place would even give each other the time of day. And yet he has made them disciples. It's interesting too, I think about churches in this way. How we are held together. Some of us coming from totally different backgrounds. And yet Christ still holds us together like family. Holding people together that in any other place wouldn't give each other the time of day. So he makes them and he names them. Jesus makes these disciples. And in a sense he gives them a new identity. He names them Apostles. Now, if you know something about the first century, like naming something was important. Naming someone was sort of like expressing a reality or or restating reality. So he calls these guys apostles, and we think about apostles, and we think oftentimes in terms of an office. You know, we think of apostle, we think maybe something like um, captain or prime minister. But it's interesting, if if you know that apostle literally means sent ones. So before this word meant a certain office, like a certain leader in a church, it meant sent ones. That these guys are sent ones. Sent people. And it's interesting, I think about us as we talk or sometimes refer to ourselves as an apostolic church. Oftentimes what we mean by that is that we are faithful to the original gospel that the apostles taught. But I also want us to understand, too, that it means that we, too, are sent ones. We too are a sent church. As an apostolic church, we are a sent church. So Jesus speaks this new identity over these apostles, over these men. And it's interesting, I think about the ways that Christ has spoken new identities over us. That in Christ we have a new identity. That our identity takes its root in Christ. That it's based on him, in a relationship with him. That he makes us sent ones as well. It's interesting. He he makes us followers and he makes us sent people. It sort of reminds me is, is how Peter, excuse me, how Simon received a new name. I mean, we think of Peter, we think of like someone's name, but it's actually Petros. The Greek it means rock. The rock. From Simon to the rock. The rock on which Christ would build his church. Peter has a new identity. We have new identities in Christ. We become new people, a new creation. He's calling us and he makes us disciples. Here's the best part this is the best part of this passage. Jesus says, I've done all of this. This calling, this making, and this naming, so that I might be with you. Actually, sorry, he says, so that you might be with me. Jesus said he's done all of this so that his disciples might be with him. We serve a relational God. A God who desires to know you. A God who deeply loves you. Discipleship. Following Jesus. It's above everything else about a relationship. It's about a relationship with Christ. I started thinking, and the, the first thing that came to my mind was that parable of the tree that Jesus talked about. That a good tree does not produce bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree produce good fruit. But you will know a tree by its own, by the fruit that it produces. He said, You don't find figs on thorn bushes, nor do you find grapes on briar bushes. Each tree produces its own fruit. He said, A good man or a good person brings forth the good things out of the goodness of their heart. An evil person brings about evil things out of the evil of their heart. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of the overflow of the heart that which a person lives. And I think about this as we start talking about relationships, how in a church, or as, as Christians, so often we can begin focusing on the behavior. To use the tree analogy, we start focusing on the fruit. How can I get fruit on my tree? And Jesus is saying, not that you try and fit fruit on a tree, but that you become a different type of tree. Not that you try and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and act better. Do the things you're supposed to and, and stop doing the things you're not supposed to. Not, not so much that it's that, but that you have a relationship with Him. That out of the goodness of your heart, out of the, the overflow of your heart, faithfulness comes. See, it was never His intent for our faith to become a list of do's and don'ts. More than good behavior God is calling for a good relationship. Listen to that again. More than good behavior, God is calling for a good relationship. Here's the surprising thing. When we are in a right relationship with Christ, when our relationship is good and growing with Him, good behavior comes out of that. Faithfulness comes out of that. Obedience comes out of that. In these last few weeks, we've been listening to Jesus and He's been challenging, at least me and hopefully us, all of us as well. Challenging us with our wealth, challenging with our families to putting Him above everything. You see, when we're in a right relationship with God, we don't have to try and convince ourselves to be more generous. We don't have to grudgingly say, alright, I'm just going to write this check because I know it's the right thing to do. A, when we are in a right relationship with God, it becomes different. It totally changes. When we're in a right relationship with God, we become so grateful. So grateful for what He has done, this life that He has given us. The ways that He has blessed us, even in the middle of difficult times. We become so grateful that we become generous. We become so grateful we become generous in radical ways, in ways that, that surprise people. That people would see our generosity and they would think that we are crazy. Faithfulness brings about gratefulness, and gratefulness is what brings about generosity. I think about families too. You know, if if your family is anything like mine with your kids running all over the church, and if your family too has struggles and brokenness, you know, we can focus on how do we fix our family? How do we how do I fix my kids? How do I fix my grandkids? How do I fix my parents? These questions are overwhelming. But in a right relationship with Christ, things become different. Not that it totally gives us all the answers, not that it makes things easy, but it does make us different. That we become agents of health in our family. That rather than contributing to the problem, we begin to contribute to the solution. We begin to contribute to the health of our family. We become agents of reconciliation. Helping people in our families come together who are at odds. Even if we're one of those people. We become agents of redemption. Speaking grace and forgiveness to people. Encouraging each other. Challenging each other in helpful ways. It's when we're in a right relationship with Christ that that our families, that we become helpful in our families. It's so when we're in a right relationship with Jesus that we begin that his message begins to make sense to us. That we begin to think, I I'm not sure that I want to deny myself, but God, I want to do it because that's what you've called me to. I want to take up my cross and I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to give up my life so that I might have life more full. It's in a right relationship that this begins to happen. Jesus is calling us to a relationship. Here's the amazing thing, though. Here's the amazing thing. Is that when we have a relationship with God, we get this God who loves us. Not only does it help us in our life, but we have a relationship with a God who loves us. A God who loves us deeply in ways that we will never understand. Jesus talked about He said, No greater love has a man than this than he would lay down his life for his friend. And that's precisely what Christ has done. He has laid down his life for us. No greater love is there than that. That the Father so loved this world. Not that he was so frustrated with this world or so discouraged by this world, but that he so loved this world. That he so loved you. That he sent his Son. That whoever believes in him might not perish, but have life everlasting. Paul was talking about it when he was was talking with the church in Rome. He's saying, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, very rarely will someone die for a righteous person. For a good person, some might dare to die. But this, this is a testimony of God's love. That while we were still sinners, while we were still far from Him, while we were still rebellious, Christ died for us. This is how much God loves us. As surprising as it is, this is how deeply God loves you. Christ is calling us into a relationship with Him. He's done all of this so that we could be with Him, that our lives would be different, not easy, but better. And because he loves us. Because his Father in heaven loves you. You are his children. He's called us into a relationship. But he's called us in to send us out. This was the second part of what Jesus said. He said, I brought you here so in order that you may be with me, but also in order that I might send you out to proclaim, proclaim this amazing news, that the time has been fulfilled, that the kingdom has come, to go and have authority over demons, over evil. We see this each week. Each Sunday we are brought in. We are called in. We experience this amazing relationship with God. We have a chance to draw close to Him, but then each Sunday we are sent out. Every Sunday we are sent back in. We are called in and then sent out. Sent out to proclaim. Sent out to have authority, to stand up against evil. Jesus says he has called us in to send us out to proclaim this good news. To proclaim this amazing news that the time has come. The kingdom of God is close. It's right at the doorstep. The reign of God has already broken into human history. Repent. Turn around and follow God and believe in this amazing news that we have been saved, that we have been rescued. We've been rescued from the things that we've done. The things that we dare not even mention. We have been rescued. We've been rescued from our pride, from our greed, from our selfishness, from things that go on and on. We have been rescued. We have been reconciled We've been brought into a right relationship with the living God. Before, there were things between us. And now the way has been opened. Christ has opened the way for us to be in a relationship with God. And He's opened the way for us to be in relationship with each other. Helping us to work through the conflicts that we have, the differences that we have. And He's given us new life life to its fullest extent. Like I said, not necessarily life that's easy, but life that is full. Filled with joy. Filled with contentment. Even despite the difficulties that we're in. Filled with love, even though we are in the worst times of our lives. Filled with compassion. Even when things are going really well for us, we still, our hearts break for the things that break the heart of God. Life filled more, with more depth. Not that we are shallowly kind of bob through life. But that we live more deeply, caring more deeply for people. He has given us this fullness of life, and this life is eternal, this life that goes on and on forever with Him. The moment that we believe that we have this eternal life, this forever standing with Him and praising His name, He's called us to this amazing news, to proclaim this amazing news. Go and preach good news to the poor. Proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Bind up the brokenhearted. Set free the captives. Set free those who sit in darkness and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come. He has sent us to go and have authority. Authority over demons, over evil. Because it's not just people, it's not just flesh and blood, it's against principalities and powers with which we stand. There are strongholds that we tear down by prayer and by faithfulness and fasting. We are light in the darkness. God has made us light to go out and to shine good light into the dark places of this world. He's called us to stand with authority against evil, against people who who put down others, who oppress others. He's called us to stand up with the weak, with those who seem to always end up on the bottom. Those people that society always seems to kick to the edge. He's called us to stand with them. Not that we would become hard-pressed necessarily in terms of like, what we have to go without, but that, we, that we, there would be equity. That everybody would have enough. He's called us to have authority. To have authority over evil. He's called us in to send us out. To proclaim this good news that the kingdom has come. That Christ has made a way for us. So that justice might flow down like water and righteousness flow like a mighty stream. This morning I pray that you hear God's Spirit speaking to you. I pray that you hear God calling you again. Calling you not just to know more about Him, as good as that is, but to know Him. To love Him with all of your heart. All of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. I pray that you hear God speaking to you that you are loved. That He desires a relationship with you, to know you, to bring you close to Him. That you would walk with Him and follow His every move. I pray that you hear God speaking to you that you are sent. You are sent to proclaim this amazing news that the kingdom has come. To bring authority, to, to drive back evil to go and preach the whole gospel to whole people and whole communities in this whole world. I pray that you hear God speaking to you this morning. That you hear God saying that you are a called people. You are a loved people. You are a sent people. I pray you hear God speaking this. Amen.